I don't know if you remember or not, but on August the 11th, 2014, there was news that came about that was really a, quite a shock to the world. On that day, we found out that Robin Williams, the comedian and actor, had committed suicide. He's just one of many people who are famous, successful, and, and wealthy who have committed suicide. Uh, others have went into depression. And yet, in the passage that we look at today, we read where God wants to give us perfect peace. When you think about the, the, the suicide of Williams, it's a tragedy. It's, just, it's heartbreaking. I, I just wouldn't want to see anybody experience that. And, and yet, I know that we'll hear more stories like this because... Even though so many people have everything that the world has to offer, they still don't have the ability to provide peace for themselves. Not the kind of peace that, that God offers every single one of us. You see, God wants to come into your life and he wants to give you a hope. He wants to give you a purpose for living. But he also wants to give you security. Not that there'll never be a time in this life that something bad can happen to you that's not the case and we'll get into those details in a moment but but God wants to give us an eternal security and he wants to give us a peace that that is real and is grounded in reality a peace that we can that we can truly live by in the passage we're looking at today in Isaiah it's Isaiah chapter 26 and and in this chapter the prophet Isaiah was speaking to ancient Israel at a time when they had been living in in rebellion against God and so because they were living in rebellion against God, God disciplined them and God allowed the surrounding nations to come in and to oppress them. And you see, the, the, the thing to understand about this is that, that God loved them so much, and the same is true today for us, God loved them so much that he was willing to do whatever it took to, to bring them back to him and, and to get their attention. Now, and I don't know about, about you and your children, but I mean, I absolutely, I love my children, I really do. One of them was up here leading worship this morning. You probably noticed she was the cutest one up here. You know, I, I don't, anyway, uh, she looks like her mama right over here. But anyway, I, I, I love my children. I really do. And I love them too much just to let them do whatever they want to do. And God feels the same way about you. God loves you too much to let you destroy yourself. And so the same was ancient Israel. And God spoke to them through the prophet Isaiah, and he called them to return to them and experience a peace, a peace that Isaiah describes as a, a perfect peace, a perfect peace. And so Isaiah chapter 26 is where we'll be at. We're looking at verses 1 through 21. I want to ask you, would you join me in standing as we read this together? Isaiah chapter 26, beginning in verse 1. The word of God says, in that day, this song will be sung in the land of Judah. We have a strong city. He sets up salvation as walls and bulwarks. Open the gates that the righteous nation that keeps faith may enter in. You keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts in you. Trust in the Lord forever. For the Lord God is an everlasting rock. For he has humbled the inhabitants of the height, the lofty city. He lays it low, lays it low to the ground, casts it to the dust. The foot tramples at the feet of the poor, the steps of the needy. The path of the righteous is level. You make level the path of the righteous. In the path of your judgments, O Lord, we wait for you. Your name and remembrance are the desire of our soul. My soul yearns for you in the night. My spirit within me earnestly seeks you. 
For when your judgments are in the earth, the inhabitants of the world learn righteousness. If favor is shown to the wicked, he does not learn righteousness. In the land of the uprightness, he deals corruptly, and he does not see the majesty of the Lord. O Lord, your hand is lifted up, but they do not see it. Let them see your zeal for your people and be ashamed. Let the fire for your adversaries consume them. O Lord, you will ordain peace for us, for you have indeed done for us all our works. O Lord, our God, other lords beside you have ruled over us, but your name alone we bring to remembrance. They are dead. They will not live. They are shades. They will not arise. To that end, you have visited them with destruction and wiped out all remembrance of them. But you have increased the nation, O Lord. You have increased the nation. You are glorified. You have enlarged all the borders of the land. O Lord, in distress, they sought you. They poured out a whispered prayer when your discipline was upon them. Like a pregnant woman who rises and cries out in her pangs when she is near to giving birth, so were we because of you, O Lord. We were pregnant. We writhed. But we have given birth to the wind. We have accomplished no deliverance in the earth, and the inhabitants of the world have not fallen. Your dead shall live, their bodies shall rise. You who dwell in the dust, awake and sing for joy. For your dew is a dew of light, and the earth will give birth to the dead. Come, my people, enter your chambers and shut your doors behind you. Hide yourselves for a little while while until the fury has passed by. For behold, the Lord is coming out from his place to punish the inhabitants of the earth for their iniquity. And the earth will disclose the blood shed on it and will no more cover the slain. Let's pray together. Father, I pray today that you'd help us to understand this message. There's so much that has to do with the context of Israel that's, that's foreign to us, and I pray that you'd help us to, to realize what Isaiah is talking about so that we might know what you're saying to us today. Help us to be obedient and to listen and to follow you. And Father, I pray for every person here. May they seek the peace that you offer and receive it rejoice in it for it's in your son's name that we pray amen you may be seated as we look at this passage isaiah was speaking to the nation of israel and one of the things that he teaches us is that that god alone is able to give us peace you notice what it says in that first verse it says in that day this song will be sung in the land of judah Everything about this passage is looking forward in hope. He talks about that, that right now they may be living in oppression, but they're looking forward today when they're going to sing a song. And this song is going to be about how the Lord has given them peace and given them security. And so notice what it says in verse 3. It says, you keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts in you. Isaiah talks about perfect peace, and see, God's peace is perfect, but our peace apart from God is just, it's a false peace. Think about this for a moment. What is peace? In, in Old Testament Israel, they were thinking about in terms of being free from military oppression. They, they had been carried off by the Assyrians. They would be, have to deal with the Babylonians and all these nations around them. And so when they talk about peace in Israel, they're talking about a time when they can enter the city and they can rejoice and they can live without any fear of military intervention from these surrounding nations. That's what they're talking about. But for most of us here today, we don't, we don't really have to worry about oppression, not in the life in which we live. And so what is, what is, what is peace? And I, I want to submit to you that I believe 
the base definition of peace and the concept is to be able to live without any fear of threat. Peace for us means that, that we don't have to fear sickness. We don't have to fear death. We don't have to fear violence. We don't have to fear betrayal. We don't have to fear corruption. You say, Pastor, that's, that's, that's kind of a, a fairy tale. It's a dream. No, no, it's a, it's a description of heaven straight out of the book of Revelation. As he talks about the former things will be no more. That God has a place for us he's preparing where there's a perfect peace. And here's the beautiful thing about it. Even though we don't experience all of this peace yet, we get a taste of the kingdom here. As we learn to trust in God and believe in him. So we think about perfect peace versus false peace. A lot of people when they think about peace, they think about being peaceful or being at peace. A lot of people today are, are seeking to live a a peaceful life. But the reality is, is that you and I are not capable of creating peace in our life because of two things. Number one, we don't know what's going to happen. None of us here today know what's going to happen this afternoon, next year. We don't know. We do not know the future. And second thing is, even if we knew the future, we can't change it or control it. We can plan and we can prepare, but we are not ultimately in control. And in order to provide complete, absolute security, someone has to have both of these capacities, to know the future and to be able to control the future. And who can do that? God can do that. He can give us absolute, perfect peace. And so we think about false peace. Jesus told a story of a man that he built bigger barns because he didn't know that he was about to die. He sat around and looked at all his wealth, and he said, you know, what am I, what am I going to do? And he says, well, I'll just build bigger barns, and, and I'm just going to sit here and, and bask in my prosperity. And Jesus says, you fool. You don't realize that tonight your soul will be required of you. You see, he had a false sense of peace because he didn't know the future, and he couldn't control the future. False peace is a man who checks his retirement account. He sits back and relaxes looking at how much he has to make it to the end of his life. But he has no idea that he's invested in the next Enron. False peace is the, is the woman that looks in the mirror and she's excited to see the health and slender of her body, but she doesn't realize that cancer is eating away at her organs. False peace, you see, comes from ignorance, it comes from not knowing the reality. And many people today seek to be at peace and, and feel peaceful and feel that they're at peace, yet they have no idea what's coming ahead for them. God wants to give us true peace. Isaiah calls it a perfect peace. That is, God wants to give us an eternal security so that we know that when we leave this earth, we will never fear anything ever again. That is complete. And perfect peace. False peace comes when we simply don't understand what lies ahead. But real peace comes from trusting in the God who created reality and who can change and who knows what lies ahead. Now, we read all of chapter 26, and we're going we're gonna to hit some highlights as we go through and talk about all the main ideas, but we can't talk about every verse. There's just not time. But you notice that many of the verses that we read are not encouraging Many of the verses are warnings. 
Because you see, this peace that we're talking about, it's not for everybody. This peace that we're talking about, it's for those who will accept it and receive it and believe it. So peace is for the righteous. So notice what he says in verse 7. The path of the righteous is level. You make level the way of the righteous. You see what Isaiah was saying to the nation of Israel. He said, your path now may be uphill and rocky, but what's coming ahead is a level, easy path. And of course, path is a, is a metaphor to talk about our life. And what God is saying to us here is that what lies ahead for the righteous person is an easy life. When God promises heaven, he promises a place where there's no more death, no more mourning, no more crying. All the former things have passed away and are remembered no more. And so the Bible tells us here that for the righteous, there's to be a level path. You see, the Lord's desire for people is to know righteousness and to live in righteousness. Notice what he says in, in verse 9, the second part of that verse. He says, for when your judgments are in the earth, the inhabitants of the world learn righteousness. They learn righteousness. The Bible teaches here that, that God's concern is for us to understand what it is that he wants us to do and how he wants us to live. Do, do you know that, that God is absolutely perfect? You see, God has never sinned in thought, motive, or action. None of us can say that, but God can say that. And so God wants to teach us what it means to live a righteous life. And so in the book of Proverbs, God gives us all this wisdom about how life works. And he gives us practical insights about how to live a righteous life. The Ten Commandments, the first part of the commandments, teach us about how to live right with God. And the second part of the Ten Commandments teaches us about how to live right with other people. God wants to teach us righteousness and you see this is where so many people fail to understand the character and nature of God people get excited about the idea that God is love and he is God is love and he is merciful and he is gracious and he is compassionate he is all those things but that's not all that he is he is also holy and righteous and just. And you see, that's why God can't simply overlook all of our sin. If God were only compassionate, he could simply look over our sin. But God is also just. And so he wants to teach us righteousness. That's why God disciplines his children in order to bring us back on the right path and to get us moving in the right direction. That's why ultimately, those that refuse to allow Jesus to take their place and pay for their sin will be left with no other option than to pay for it themselves because God teaches us righteousness. God wants to teach us how to live, and he wants to transform us and change us. And so the Lord's desire is for people to know and to live righteousness. And, and here's, here's the reality, though, is that when we seek when we seek peace apart from God, we find none. This was the case with Old Testament Israel. Israel, in many ways, they wanted to have their cake and eat it too. They wanted to claim God, but they didn't want to serve God. 
They wanted to acknowledge God but not worship him. They wanted to hear from God, but they wanted to hear what they wanted to hear from God. They didn't want to hear God calling them to repentance for sin. And so they went through a time in their life when they, when they, didn't, they didn't throw God out of the nation. Or they didn't disavow God. They just stopped listening to him and stopped following him. And so they lived in rebellion. And during this time of rebellion, that's when God disciplined them. And God allowed these other nations to come in and to take them over. And say, well, why would God do that? Because they're his people and he loves them. And he wants them to know what's right and he wants them to, to love him. And the same is true for you. God loves you. Whether you understand that or believe it or not, he loves you. And the closest person in your life, be it your mother, your spouse, your children, whoever it might be, as much as they may love you, I can assure you, they do not love you as much as God does. He loves you. And because he loves you, he doesn't want to let you just continue to live your life in a self-destructive manner, but he wants to bring you into a relationship with him where you can have peace and purpose in life and where you can have hope and joy. And this is why God disciplines us sometimes. He's willing to do whatever it takes to get our attention and to draw us back in to him. But he still gives us the freedom to rebel against him or not. Well, Israel had chosen rebellion, and so they were, they were doing whatever they wanted to do. And in the midst of God's discipline, instead of repenting, then they just asked God to remove the consequences of their sin and deliver them. And so Isaiah talks about this in verses 12 through 18. And listen to what he says in verse 16. He says, they poured out a whispered prayer when your discipline was upon them. Do you notice how he, he describes their prayer? A, a whispered prayer prayer the image here is they are trying to pray but they can't even get out more than a whisper and why because they're under the discipline of God and God was not looking for them to cry out and ask for relief from discipline God was looking for them to cry out and confess their sin because peace is not for people living in rebellion peace is for people living in righteousness and so God is calling them. He's compelling them. He's inviting them. The same is true for us. He wants to give us a perfect peace. But to receive it, we must come to him and follow him and listen to him. Verse 17, Isaiah talks about the futility that they went through in trying to bring peace upon themselves. Listen to what he says in verse 17. Like a pregnant woman who rises and cries out in her pangs when she is near to giving birth, so were we because of you, O Lord. We were pregnant, we writhed, but we have given birth to win. We have accomplished no deliverance in the earth. Isaiah compares their condition as they are, are, are struggling and suffering with the oppression of their neighbors and they're living under the discipline of God. And he said, he said we, were, we were like a pregnant woman who is in pain and she is expecting to deliver and be relieved from that pain and have the joy of a child. But as we went through the pain, all we gave birth to was the wind. It was empty. We accomplished no deliverance. Isaiah said, we tried to do it our own way and we failed and we accomplished no peace. And maybe you're here today and you've been trying to do it your own way. Perhaps there was a time in your life, maybe still a time in your life, where you're trying to do more good than bad. You think, well, if I, if I do enough good, it'll outweigh what I do in bad. 
and it, and it won't work. The Bible's crystal clear that there's nothing we can do to cover our sin and pay for our sin. We can't earn it on our own. Maybe you're trying to secure peace and security through your own accomplishments. You're trying to make certain that your family's secure by saving for your retirement. You're trying to make certain that your children are secure by micromanaging everything that they do. You're trying to make sure that your marriage is secure by, by doing everything the way that you think that it ought to be done. You're trying to find security in your health by eating all these different things and exercising. And, and none of that stuff is bad in and of itself. It just falls short of being able to provide for us the perfect peace that God wants to give us. You see, only God is able to give us an absolute perfect peace. And so Isaiah said, when we were under the discipline of God, we cried out, but our prayers were like a whisper. We tried to accomplish peace, but we were like, went through all the pain of childbearing, but at the end, all we had was the wind, nothing, nothing. So the message that Isaiah calls us to is that we receive the peace of God by responding to him in righteous living. We become the person that he wants us to become and we listen to God and we do what God is calling us to do. And when we do this, you see, God's people have a glorious future. If you're here today and you're a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ, it's all uphill from here. I you may think that your best days are behind. You don't even know what our best days are going to look like yet. God has a glorious future in store for all of us that believe and trust in him. Look at verse 19. It says, your dead shall live. Their bodies shall rise. Isaiah is talking about the resurrection. Job looked forward to this hope. Job 19, verses 25 to 27. Listen to what Job said. He said, for I know that my Redeemer lives. And at the last, as those last days, he will return, he will stand on the earth. In verse 26, and after my skin has been thus destroyed, yet in my flesh I shall see God, whom I shall see for myself, and my eyes shall behold and not another. My heart faints within me. Job said when he thought about the hope of the resurrection, his heart fainted within him. Do you notice what he said? He said, after my skin has been thus destroyed, yet in my flesh I will see God. Well, how was he going to see God in his flesh after his skin was destroyed? Because he knew that God was going to one day resurrect him. This is the promise that you and I have. All of us here today, we are, we are all in the process of dying. There's not a person here today that's younger than they were yesterday. Every single one of us. Our bodies are deteriorating. Our bodies are aging. Our bodies are decaying. And one day we are all going to die. But the hope that we have, the perfect peace that we have, is that one day when Christ returns, he's going to resurrect our body. You see, the Bible teaches us that someday when your heart beats for the last time, when your lungs take their last breath, when, that, when the brain sends its last waves of signal, the soul of the part will be with God. And one day when the Christ returns and he resurrects the body, soul 
and body will be reunited. And not, not resuscitated. Not the old body, but resurrected, a new body, a new and glorious body like, like Christ had after his resurrection. And in that day, we'll experience the absolute perfect peace that Isaiah prophesies about. As we live in a place where there's no more death, there's no more sickness, no sorrow, no corruption, no immorality, no violence. Only God is able to provide this. But it's up to us. Do we want to trust in him? Do we want to live a righteous life and receive the peace that he offers? Let's pray together. Father, I pray today that you'd help us to believe and trust in you. I pray that you give us faith. Lord, I ask if there's any person that's here today that has never trusted in you for salvation. Father, I pray today they would make that decision. Lord, help us, those of us that are believers, to be faithful and to follow you. For it's in your son's name that we pray. Amen.